You're listening to episode number 24 of the Money Owners Podcast with me, Morgan Richard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice, and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information on Money Owners Coaching, the podcast, the homework, and everything I have to offer, visit moneyowners.com. What's happening, Money Owners? I'm back from a five-day conference in St. Louis, and as you can tell, I have lost my voice. (laughs) So please forgive me for what I sound like. It was actually way worse yesterday, and uh, it was one of the reasons why I didn't record last night was because I sounded so horrible. Every time I like made a little giggle or laugh, which I tend to do on these podcasts, I could just like hear myself sort of wheezing. (laughs) Yeah, anyways. (laughs) So um, because I was at that conference, um, today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. But before we dive into the topic, um, which in case you're all wondering, it's pain and suffering. I know it's really, really brilliant. And I hope you (laughs) listen to every minute of this one because it's got to be a good one. Um, I wanted to just say a couple of notes about the last podcast. So in podcast 23, we talked about debt. I hope you go back and listen to it. I had mentioned a couple of things about public student loan forgiveness in there and about working for the government. Um, Basically, to get public student loan forgiveness, yes, one of the ways that you can get it is working for the government, but another way to do it is to work for a 501c3 company. And there are other companies, too, that are nonprofits that aren't 501c3 that can apply and possibly get approved, but the best way to get approved is is to be a 501c3 or to be a government organization. So I just wanted to clarify that there because... um, You don't necessarily have to be a federal employee to get public student loan forgiveness. You can also just be um, somebody working in a nonprofit. So something to consider when you are taking out student loans and seeing what you want to do on the other side of that schooling. And um, yeah, I I also put that in the show notes. Um, So if you go to uh, moneyowners.com forward slash 23, you'll see that in the show notes. I just, um, I didn't want to re-record that podcast because I don't like re-recording stuff. I think that my first take is really the way that it's meant to be. And you know what? We own up to our mistakes and that's what we're all about around here. So um, yeah, so I just want to throw that out there. I'm not an expert on student loans and I was actually going to commit to doing a student loan episode. And instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring on an expert to talk to y'all about a student, to about talk to y'all about student loans, the way it's meant to be talked about, or as opposed to like hearing it from me who um, does it. I do it in my practice, but we don't do it the way that some of these other people do. So all things to wait for down the road. And meantime, let's talk about pain and suffering. Yay. <laughs> so uh, one of the reasons why this came up is because the, at the conference I went to, I paid for um, something extra to go to for the first two days before the par- conference began. We, we've been calling it the pre-con. And it's with a man who is called George Kinder. He's actually one of my deepest influences on my practice. I read The Seven Stages of Money Maturity a few years ago now, and it really shaped how I interact with my clients and the things that we do. And a lot of my worksheets are actually based off of um, questions that he asks in that book and, you know, modified to fit my group of clients. Um, But this specific two-day conference was really designed to um, learn how to be a better planner in a way that helps you communicate better with your clients. It helps you evoke is the word that George Kinder uses quite a bit. Um, It's actually what his five-day 
um, retreat is called, but it's basically to evoke a different response out of clients so that they get what they want out of their lives. Um, and then ultimately what you're able to do as the planner is something called lighting the torch, where after listening to clients and having them evaluate what they're doing in their lives, you can paint a picture for them, um, of what they, what it could be like in a year and a half or two years from now, or at the most three years from now. And that way that person can get off the couch you know, one of these things that we've been talking about of, you know, having new inertia to go on and go and do the things that you're meant to do in this life. And all of that's well and good, but you can't do all of that stuff until you sort of evaluate where you are now. So part of the seven stages of money maturity, um, and you can, please, if this is something that's interesting to you, definitely buy George Kinder's book. It's fantastic. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but he talks a lot about the first stages, which are um, childhood and pain. And pain is what we're going to get into today. And then he moves on to something which is called adulthood. Oh, I'm sorry. Childhood is pain and innocence. I'm already saying terrible things on this podcast. Yeah, the childhood section is pain and innocence. Um, we're not going to get too much into innocence today. Um, and then adulthood is, um, it makes up a vigor, understanding, and knowledge. Um, and then the final um, aspect of it is called maturity, which is why it's called the seven stages of money maturity. And that's when you reach aloha and you have vision. So I think it's interesting to note it's like most great stories kind of set off on this similar path of like getting through childhood, going through adulthood, and then finally reaching that stage of maturity where you have the wisdom, you know, to really see the vision of your future. Um, one I can think of off the top of my head. So, um, he, Kinder mentioned this in his class, but if you ever read Dante's Inferno, right, there's Dante's Inferno, which is getting out of childhood and moving to the next stage and adulthood is actually, um, I'm actually drawing a blank. Wow. Now as, as I'm talking about this, um, it's purgatory, right? There's there's Dante's in purgatory where he works out all of these things to get to Dante's paradiso. So it sort of follows the story of a hero over time. Um, and the best part about this is that you get to be the hero. So a lot of what we've been doing in this podcast is talking about ways that you can really have your life be affected by just changing your thoughts. And if you change your thoughts, then the feelings that you have around those thoughts will also change. And then the actions that you take as a result of those feelings will change. And therefore your results will be very different than they were if you hadn't thought about your thoughts at all. Um, and that's really what George Kinder gets out as well. I mean, he doesn't say it that way. Um, that's definitely my interpretation of it. But it is somebody to think about where if there are many people out there like a George Kinder who are helping people change their lives and the basic concept of it is that you work through things so that you can change your thoughts and therefore your feelings and therefore your actions and results are different, right? Like these are all things that are really, really important and particularly important um, with your relationship to money and really your relationship to anything. So kind of what I've been hoping about this podcast is that as you do the work, not only does your relationship to money change, but also the relationship to your, you know, your, hopefully your spouse or somebody that loves you or um, your relationship with food maybe can also be overlapped or a relationship with drugs or alcohol. All of these things are just a relationship with something, how you relate to the world, how you change your thoughts and how you're doing things is how you're going to, you know, kind of put your soul out into the world. So, um, yeah, so to get back to pain and suffering, so <laughs> since that's definitely what I want to talk about today. Um, this actually, uh, I just wanted to put a side note about this. My husband and I, I was sitting there one night and I was like, I want to like sell the idea of like pain and suffering to my clients because it's actually kind of an interesting thing. When you start working with a financial planner, lots of things like really negative emotions come up. 
Um, I have yet to have anyone in my office just come in and everything's a hanky-dory, happy-go-lucky. Um, I think that that's what people think financial planning is about, um, but it's it's not. Um, people think that, like, rich people walk into some, you know, fancy-schmancy office and they're like, uh, you know, what really interesting investments can you put me in so that I make 1,000% year-over-year returns? I think that's what the public thinks of <laughs> wealth management and financial planning. But in reality, what it really is is people come into my office and they share their deepest, darkest fears. And we are there for them at the hardest moments of their lives. And usually one of the reasons why they're walking into the office is because they have a problem. It's never the person who's like, everything's awesome. Here's my money. Do what you want with it. Uh, I've yet to experience that. Maybe somebody experiences that, but I would say if someone does, if a planner does experience that, it's a very, very, very small percentage of their clients. Most clients have a pain point. That's why they're seeing me. Um, and really any reason, right? Right. Any reason why you spend your money is because you have a pain point. So something so simple as like going to buy gum at Dwayne Reed or whatever pharmacy drugstore is closest to you, right? Like the pain point there is probably like my breath smells, <laughs> So I went into the pharmacy and I bought gum, right? You don't just like kind of go in there or like it's a habit. So you already have it sort of deeply ingrained in you from other pain points in the past that you need to go in there and buy the gum. Um, I'm just using that as an example just to show that like there are the, the reason why people do this is for pain points. And the reason why you're probably listening to this podcast is maybe because you have some pain points in your own life that you want to work out. Um, and it's actually the reason why I'm currently writing a book about all of this. Um, I'm hoping to get that my book out um, by Christmas time so that everyone can give their family members the gift of the quick start guide to personal finance. I know you're all been waiting for this, <laughs> especially coming from me because you know all the other ones that are out there are just not enough. Mine will have like a real good pain and suffering spin to it. Um, <laughs> I guarantee you it will. So um, but yeah, so things to think about, right, when you're thinking about your finances is that there's there's something currently happening in your finances that you don't like and that you want to change and that's actually really hurting you. And I think the first thing that we always want to do when something's hurting us is we want to get rid of it. We want to take it and we want to smush it up and we want to stuff it down as hard as we can and never see it again and move on with our lives. And I think that like we do that in general with really any pain point, but I particularly see it with people with money because... Some of the stuff that we that comes up for us with money is so deeply ingrained that we don't even realize that it's not a truth. And these are things that we've talked about, right? There was an episode, I believe it was number nine, about money scripts and about worthiness. Um, these are these are things that have been happening to us since childhood. So one of the reasons why George Kinder goes through this thing of childhood where you have pain and innocence, right? And that they're sort of side by side is that the innocence is the stuff that you learn from your parents. So basically you're born, right? And then you learn a bunch of stuff from your parents and then you turn 18 and you go out into the world. And yeah, there are definitely influences of other people along the way, but the main things that you get are from the people who are directly around you. So your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe an aunt and uncle who are really close to you who are over all the time, right? Those are the people who directly affect your relationship with money. And then you are released into the world and you're expected to do all these things with those thoughts that you have in your head that you think are truths. And if we never evaluate what those are, if we never take time to think about them, we actually go through our entire life with values that we learned as very little children. And actually, to take that even one step further, we go through our entire lives being affected by specific situations that are memories that are deeply burned into our brains and we take that with us for the rest of our life. So one of the homeworks that I want you to do, and of course, we'll put this up on the website, moneyowners.com forward slash 24, if you want to get the show notes and the homework. 
um, the first thing I want you to think of is actually not a pain and suffering question. It's actually just a nice question. So it's, what's your most joyful memory of money? And I want you to think of it um, as one of your earliest memories that you can that's joyful. But I mean, if you can't go that far back, maybe do something more recent, but really try to think of something before the age of 18. What was the most joyful memory that you had with money? And then I want you to flip that. Then I want you to think of what was the most painful memory that you had before the age of 18 with money. And I want you to get really in detail. I want you to write down everything that you can think of about that memory. And then I want you to sit back and I want you to just think about what the conclusion was of that. So you write down the whole story and then you you write down the one-liner takeaway of what you got from that painful story. And I guarantee you that when you think about it and you compare the two questions, the one about the most joyful memory and the one about the most painful memory, the one about the most painful memory is actually the one that has contributed to the, the most to how you interact with the world and your money way more than the joyful memories. So one of the studies that they did, I, I actually, um, I don't know who did it. So I'm sorry, I can't link to it, whoever did it. Um, I'd love to give you credit. I just didn't Google it before I did this podcast. Um <laughs> There's a, a note about how people who check their accounts, they feel um, their investment accounts, they feel twice as much pain or three times as much pain when the market goes down as they do when the market goes up. They feel like, of course, yeah, hi, I have no money. It's great when the market goes up, but when the market goes down, they feel immense pain. And it's the same thing that's going on here. So something that was a joyful memory that you had when you were a child Yes, you get something out of it. And yeah, you probably, when you look back on it, you look back on it fondly. Maybe you smile. Maybe like a little bit of, you know, glistening tears in your eyes of joy come to to it. But when you think about things that are painful, a lot more emotions come up. And it's not just, you know, not, not just the immediate response. If you really evaluated all of the emotions that came with a very painful story, you would really see some, how some of those emotions are still affecting you today. And it's not just like something like anger, right? You can evaluate the anger maybe that you had about a financial situation that you had a long, long time ago. But when you really think about that anger, there's probably another three emotions that you can list off the top of your head that, that coincide with it. Um, and some of them that people usually have are things like shame. Um, there's things like sadness, fear is usually another one that people, that comes up. Maybe there's some jealousy or envy, that really comes up when you think about these things that have happened to you in the past. So maybe the initial response to something painful that happened to you was anger. Um, but there are all these other deeply um, painful, really, truly painful emotions that underlie the things that we do and th- um, or things that have happened to us in the past. And if we haven't addressed them and if we haven't tried to change them, they are definitely affecting us as we move on in the future. So I'd like you to do that as an exercise. And then the next thing I'd like you to do is actually think of a painful memory with money that was more recent. So something that happened to you in adulthood, maybe from age 18 to whatever age you are today. And I want you to do the same thing, write everything down, everything about it, and then write the one-liner takeaway. And then compare whether or not that one-liner takeaway is something that is pretty similar to the one-liner takeaway that you had from that painful memory you had during childhood. These are things that if we're able to address them, if you're able to see patterns, maybe then you could start evaluating where your thoughts are at and what you can do to change them because that's the thing that's going to help you, you know, create the life that you want to have going forward in the future. And the other thing I wanted to talk about today is what to do with that pain. So you do the homework. Okay. Lots of painful, you know, memories come up, lots of really hard feelings that you don't want to sit with come up. Now, what do you do? 
And the answer is you sit with them. You allow them to be there. So one of the main ways that we can actually grow as a human is to come to an understanding with our feelings um, and to, to really accept, truly accept any feeling that we will have in this lifetime. So um, I bring, I've brought this up quite a bit, um, I think on this podcast, but I, I talk about this with my clients quite a bit of like, it's not actually enough to just say, okay, yeah, I felt like pain at that time and then move on. You actually need to like the way to actually move on is to be at ease with that pain. And that's something that's extremely hard to do. And that might take a very long time for you to do. So like a lot of us, what we do when we have painful emotions, right, is we do stuff to not feel them. So maybe we ignore the thing or we have some sort of money avoidance, which we talked about in the Money Scripts episode about what we would do when that painful thing comes up. Maybe we drink a lot or we do drugs. Maybe we eat a lot of food and that makes us feel better in the moment. Maybe we binge watch TV or play lots of video games to avoid feeling what we're feeling in the moment. You know, whatever you do that's that escapist behavior, whatever you're trying to do that's unintentionally you know, keeping you from feeling the feelings that you want to feel, or not that you want to feel, keeping you from feeling the feelings that you don't want to feel. Those are the things that are blocking you from being at ease with uncomfortable and hard feelings. And the only way for you to actually change thoughts that are deeply ingrained with you and that are being carried with you into the present is by being at ease with those feelings and by allowing those feelings. Um, One of the best ways to do this and something that George Kinder did when we were in that pre-conference Um, he had us do meditations where he just listed off emotions. And while we were doing the meditation, the idea was to conjure up the emotion as he was listing it. Um, and then to really truly feel it in your body. Um, notice where you feel it, notice what it feels like. Does it feel like an elephant sitting on you and you're suffocating? Are you getting hot in your cheeks? Do you feel a lump in your throat? Do you have little, you know, flitterings or butterflies in your stomach? Do you feel like, you know, stress in your back and are your muscles tense? Where are your muscles tense? Are they, are they in your back or is it going down your arms or can you feel it in your fingers? Are your fists clenched? Like these are all things when he was listing off painful emotions, like truly recognizing where you feel them in your body. And you don't, necessarily have to do a meditation to do this. Um, but you could also just notice it when things come up. So here's a great example. Um, you are mad about, I don't know, your flight being delayed. (laughs) I bring this up because I was just on flights, but actually they weren't delayed. But anyways, your flight was delayed. What feelings are you having in that moment, right? Maybe a little bit of anger, maybe anxiety about the fact that you have a connecting flight to make. Um, maybe just like, um, shame or embarrassment over the fact that it's happened to you before with the airline you're currently on. And you, you said to yourself, I'm never going to fly with that airline again. And then you book the ticket because you were trying to save some money, right? These are all feelings that come up. And while you're experiencing this painful, uh, you know, period of time, the biggest thing that you want to do, the most important thing that you want to do is actually notice the feeling that you're having and where you're having it in your body. And the reason why you want to do this is because this is you allowing your body to actually feel the emotion because while you're recognizing what's going on, you're not doing anything to stop it. You're not, you know, picking up a drink. You're not, you know, yelling at your spouse. You're not stuffing brownies down your face, right? You're truly being in the moment and experiencing the emotion. This will help you so much because it'll help you gain clarity over your thoughts of what thought is causing it. Um, and the thing to notice, I think when you're, when you're doing that is that the feelings themselves are kind of like a wave and they stay, they stay with you over time. 
Um, and they eventually dissipate. They eventually, you know, like like a like the way the wave works, or it has like you know, it, ra- it rises up and then it crashes. That's exactly what tr- usually happens with our emotions, right? We experience the emotion; it gets a little bit stronger, a lot stronger, very very strong, and then it crashes and it kind of goes away. I even noticed this with my son, right? He has like these temper tantrums where they start off kind of small and then they escalate and then they escalate to a point where you know he's basically going insane, and then he feels better afterwards. That's basically how it is with our feelings as well. Thoughts are not like that. Thoughts are like little buzzing bumblebees going in and out, you know, they're going through your brain. They're coming a million times a minute. Different thoughts are popping in and out. Maybe the same thought is popping in and out of your brain over and over again. You you hush it and then it comes back and then a new one comes back and then they keep, just keep popping, 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 popping. Right. And we have a lot of time. We have a lot of trouble controlling our thoughts because of this, because our mind is just moving so much faster than the other things that we can do, you know, than, than like our mind moves faster than we can speak. Our mind moves faster than we can take action, right? So these are all things to be thinking about when your brain is, is buzzing and humming. And another reason possibly to consider meditation or some sort of activity to, you know, quiet the mind and really experience emotion and take yourself to a place where you allow yourself to feel and you allow yourself to really have any thought and just notice that you're having it. Um, and just being like, you know, thinking, thinking, thinking while something is going on or feeling, 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 and naming the emotion that you're feeling while it's going on and then noticing where it is in your body. And I've noticed when I've done this, um, noticing exercise in my body, I experience that emotion so much more strongly. And then I get over it so much more quickly because of it. And the one thing I've noticed the most out of it is that once I allow myself to actually experience these emotions, I recognize that I don't need to be afraid of any emotion. I don't need to fear emotions. They come and go, and I'm strong enough to be there with them. And I don't mean strong as in the way that we typically think of strong, where we think of a strong person who doesn't actually feel feelings. (laughs) Um, The strong person is is supposed to be above feelings, and is supposed to be stoic, and is supposed to be able to handle everything, right? That's not what I mean. I mean strong as in, I can take it. Yeah, I can take any feeling because I'm willing to tolerate any feeling. And when you get to that place, you actually can change your thoughts because you're willing to feel any feeling. So things that cause negative emotion, things that cause you to have pain and suffering, which might actually propel you into the future, which might actually propel you to be the best version of yourself, you're no longer afraid to feel them because they're just a feeling. So things like failure, things like shame, right? These are things that come up when we say, I want to start a business, but I'm afraid um, because I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, mess it up. I don't want to fail or I don't want to be ashamed of how like poorly my business does, or I don't want to feel guilty about the money I might lose over something like that. Right. But then we don't actually achieve our dreams as a result of that. And then the last thing I wanted to bring up is that it's a lot easier to recognize other people's pain and want to do something about it than it is to do it about your own pain. And I would really caution you against doing that. So the number one thing that I see come up um, in my practice is when clients have certain anxieties or fears or any any negative emotion really about something going on in their situation, they usually point it out in their spouse. <laughs> they're usually like, well, she's doing blah, blah, blah. Or they're like, he's doing X, Y, Z thing. Um, and I don't need to, you know, it's so much easier to pick on the other person who's doing it than it is to look inside, really evaluate, truly evaluate what it is that you're doing yourself. Um, I would caution you against that, or at the very least notice when you're doing it, because picking on somebody else and blaming them for what they're doing or trying to change what they're doing, it's not going to change your situation at all. 
And it's only going to put you in a place where you're trying to control somebody that's outside of yourself, somebody you have no control over, and in turn, not learn how to control the things that you actually want to control that you have control over, right, Is which is you. You are in control. You are choosing thereby to not be in control and to, to try to control somebody else, which, by the way, have you ever tried to do that? Um, you can't. <laughs> I always like to go back to my son on these examples of like, you know, something so simple of me putting him down, holding in his hand and being like, hey, can you walk with me in this direction? Because that's where we're going. And he's like, no. <laughs> or he starts like slapping my thighs as hard as possible and trying to get me to like lift him up because he doesn't want to walk. Or he just literally walks in the other direction. So, I mean, I know it's like kind of a weird example because it's like, oh yeah, a toddler, of course, you're not going to be able to control them. But like, why do we think that we can control an adult? Right. If anything, it should be easier to control a toddler because they don't know any better. They have, you know, my son looks to me or, you know, his dad for everything in his life and we do everything for him. Right. And we make pretty much every single choice that we can for him, with the exception of like what he plays with on, you know, what he picks out to play with in the playroom. So if anything, right, it should be so much harder to control an adult who has free will, who is able to do whatever they want. Um, but yet we decide to do that instead of dealing with our pain and suffering. We decide to, you know, choose dealing with somebody else's pain and suffering because it kind of buffers our own and makes us feel better about our own lives. So I would just very much caution you against doing that. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this week's episode <laughs> all about pain and suffering. And maybe you got a little twinkling of things that make me um inspired. I was really inspired by the talk by George Kinder. Um, if you're interested in what's going on at the Kinder Institute, visit the Kinder Institute's website. We will link to it in the show notes. Um, you can also research what it's like to be a registered life planner. Um, and if you're a financial planner that's listening to this or really anyone, maybe if you want to take a, take your career in a different direction, you can look at registered life planners as well. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I'm sure more stuff about George Kinder will come up because he's fascinating um, and I definitely want to talk to you guys more about it, but I really wanted to get into pain and suffering because that's like, I think kind of the core of the work. And I wanted to give you some homework on that. So definitely check out the website. If you like this podcast, please give me a review on iTunes. I read all of them and I really appreciate it. And um, if you have a question, we're going to do a Q&A in two weeks. So please send in your questions. Go to www.moneyowners.com forward slash askmorgan with an E. You can also submit your questions on Twitter. I'm at Morgan with an E Rochard or at money underscore owners. And I'll talk to y'all in two weeks. Okay, thanks.